Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to the Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 1 Breakdown. We have a lot to cover and I'll be covering the second episode in another video and then I'll be compiling both of these first and second episode breakdowns in another video for you as well. So you will have all the breakdowns to choose from. Now at the very end of this breakdown, I'll give you my full thoughts on the whole episode. But for now, let's just jump right into the episode and try to dissect and understand everything. Let's get started on episode one. The beginning of the episode started with a recap of the prequels, which I really enjoyed. It ended with Yoda's line to Obi-Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith, where he tells Kenobi that he has training for him on Tatooine, to teach him to commune with his old master Qui-Gon Jinn. So I think for sure that we're going to see or hear Qui-Gon Jinn's forced ghost once again at some point in Kenobi. Now my thoughts are that Obi-Wan will have to be extremely tested and defeated either by Vader or someone else sometime in the show, maybe later on, episode 4 or 5, and then he finally hears Qui-Gon's voice and gets that bit of a rocky montage and starts to really be able to feel his force abilities again. So of course, once we finally start the episode, we begin on Coruscant, which was such a beautiful sight to see finally. This was at the Jedi Temple, where the younglings are being trained by a Jedi Master, as two 501st clones rush in to execute Order 66. As she, the Jedi, does her best to protect the younglings, she gets defeated and we see one of the younglings centered on. I believe this could be a young Reva. She was a Jedi, as the Grand Inquisitor states later turned to the dark side. We hear Palpatine continuously say execute order 66 as we see the little younglings running away while the camera rises above and we see the temple is under heavy attack, seeing more of order 66 in the Jedi temple like we saw in Revenge of the Sith. I really hope that we get to see more flashbacks of order 66 in the temple and primarily of course Anakin Skywalker. Transitioning to Tatooine, we see the Inquisitors land down and interrogate a cantina for the location of a Jedi hiding there. Reva uses tactics to snuff him out, and I gotta say Reva has some pretty aggressive tactics, ones that the Inquisitors don't use, and I think the reason for this is because the Senate is still a thing in the galaxy. At this point, it's not like Palpatine can just go around blowing up planets like he does in Episode 4. There's still a bit of time until that happens, so I don't think they have as much overall totalitarianism as we think they do in the original trilogy. I think we're heading that way, but there's still a little bit of ground to be made. 
The Jedi gets away and the Grand Inquisitor tells Reva, calling her third sister, that he's had enough of her reckless behavior and her fixation on Kenobi, that he's not hers to find. So here I'm thinking that, well, of course not, he's Vader's to find. I think she hates Kenobi so much for failing Anakin, but I could be wrong, as she has a bit of a speech that she gives to the town in front of Kenobi, of course, who's kind of hiding away. And we'll get to that in a moment, and I think that's really the deep-rooted feelings that she has towards the Jedi, and she's sort of speaking to herself in that time. We finally meet up with Kenobi cutting sashimi in the middle of the desert. He's making a living for himself as a regular man. Finally getting back to his EOP, which could be the same one from Revenge of the Sith, he feeds it and heads back home, heading to his cave, making himself at home and comfortable when he's visited by a Jawa named Tika who hands Kenobi a toy ship. Now, this to me looks like a Lambda T4A Imperial shuttle, and it's of course for Luke. When Tika shows him a belt of the Jedi that we just saw, telling Obi-Wan that a Jedi ran through the Dune Sea, Inquisitors after him and everything, Obi-Wan says the Jedi are all extinct. Now, of course, Obi-Wan knows that there are maybe a few surviving Jedi, but he's really playing the part that he isn't a Jedi, that he's just Ben, and he's not this Obi-Wan Kenobi Jedi Master, partially responsible for, well, the state of the galaxy. At the fall of his apprentice Anakin Skywalker, which he doesn't know is still alive. So now at least Obi-Wan knows that a Jedi is here and the Inquisitors are aware. This makes his job more difficult to protect Luke, so he has to be on a bit of a higher alert now and keep watch of the boy more than usual. Which to me also confuses me as to why he leaves, but we'll get to that in a minute. As he goes to sleep, he has PTSD of Anakin and what happened to him. This is 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, which means his PTSD was probably even worse in the years prior. He tries to reach out to Qui-Gon and this isn't the first time. The beginning of the episode started with a recap of the prequels and of course, as I mentioned, ending with Yoda's line to him at the end of Revenge of the Sith, where he tells Obi-Wan that he has training for him to teach him how to commune with Qui-Gon. So to me, I think Obi-Wan hasn't spoken to Qui-Gon yet in any of these 10 years. I think he's trying, but he isn't connecting himself to the Force. He can't. If he does, the Empire will detect him and sniff him out like a dog to food. So I don't want to say he's cut off from the Force, but he's just not using it. Also, if he does use it or use his lightsaber, I mean, people will see and they may notify the Empire and then it's game over. So Obi-Wan watches over Luke and we just sort of get a rundown of his daily activities. You know, cut some sashimi at his job, watch over Luke, feed his Eopi. Everything is very routine. It's very dry. It's very boring. Now we notice that Luke runs away from Owen and here he's just much like Anakin. He's playful and rebellious. I thought that was a nice little touch. Through the desert, Obi-Wan is found by Navy, the Jedi the Inquisitors were after. He has a short interaction with Obi-Wan who pretends he's not the famous Jedi Master. He finally breaks and tells the boy to forget the Jedi and let it go, to bury his lightsaber in the sand. Kenobi is a very broken man. He's hurting and he's no longer the same hopeful man that he used to be. And the Jedi even says so. He's like, what happened to you? I believe the point is to show a very broken Obi-Wan, turning into the hopeful Alec Guinness version of Obi-Wan that we see later in Episode 4. Because obviously this Obi-Wan is completely different than the one we see later on who says, Hello there. On Alderaan we meet with Leia. This is the best casting of a young Leia that I've ever seen and I think she nailed the role. I think she played it very well and she portrays Leia's rebellious, know-it-all personality while being very cute and adorable at the same time. 
She plays tricks on her mother and she runs off into the forest to explore. She's interested in ships and she's always just got this larger than life attitude and personality. Kenobi's mundane life repeats itself and we're really getting an idea for just what his life has been like for the last 10 years. He's depressed, it seems like the wind has been taken from his sails, and he's really just a defeated, different man at this point. He heads back to his Eopi where Uncle Owen throws the toy that he left for Luke onto the ground and tells Obi-Wan to leave them alone. Owen doesn't like Obi-Wan for many reasons. Now a few of them are, well, one, he blames Kenobi for the fall of Anakin and turn into Darth Vader, and the overall state of the galaxy. He also doesn't like how Obi-Wan is always watching over Luke. He thinks it'll eventually tip someone off and it'll get them hurt because of Obi-Wan snooping around and keeping watch. And third, because he feels that Obi-Wan is really just using Luke in order to push him into whatever he wants him to do, which is to be a Jedi and, well, fight the Sith. Obi-Wan asks if Luke is okay, and Owen says, you don't care if he's okay, you care if he's showing. He means showing signs of the Force. Meaning Owen thinks Kenobi only uses Luke to push him to be a Jedi like Anakin, and that of course didn't turn out very well. The Inquisitors enter the scene, and Reva speaks about how the Jedi abandoned them and betrayed them. She's really angering the fifth brother at this time, and you can see his hierarchy in this scenario because he obviously is commanding her and telling her what to do. It seems like she's really speaking to herself in this scene, how the Jedi abandoned them and betrayed them. She's talking to the people, but really, it's like she's talking to herself. So the Jedi obviously abandoned her and they betrayed her. How she thinks this, I don't know, and what her problem with Obi-Wan is, I don't really know, but it tells me that maybe Kenobi did something to her that made her feel abandoned. She obviously has pain and she's blinded by her loss of someone. She picks on Owen. She interrogates him and asks him if he's hiding a Jedi on his farm. He declines, of course, and she asks why she should believe him. So this confused me, since her powers and abilities are to read people's minds. So if she just did that to Owen, she'd look around and see Kenobi right there. She'd know he's around, she'd know Owen is involved with Kenobi, and has Luke at his hut. So anyways, the third sister pulls her lightsaber on Owen and gets pulled off by the fifth brother, who calls her too impulsive. She's very combative and angry, and he is even confused by her overall irrational and hasty behavior. It's clear that the Grand Inquisitor and the fifth brother do not like her at all. Why they're keeping her around? Probably for her abilities of seeing into people's minds. Leia is at a family gathering where we see C-3PO. So we know that Bale took the protocol droid with him. If you remember in episode 3 at the very end, he tells Wedge Antilles that the droids are in his care to now clean them. So I know a lot of people thought that maybe he's giving them to Wedge, but I think he was just saying they're in your care to clean them and wipe the protocol droid's mind. So C-3PO's mind has been wiped, however R2-D2's has not. Now as to where R2 is, well no one knows at this point, but he's probably with them too. Leia is picked on by her cousin and we see her use her powers in the Force, at least in my opinion, by reading into the fears and the mind of her cousin. She puts him in his place and it's a very Leia thing to see. Her parents scold her a bit and she runs to the forest where she's chased by the Nappers, hired by Reva to get her. The chase really wasn't my favorite, I thought it was a bit too comical and Disney-fied for me and it took me really out of the show, but it's over soon and we're able to continue with the story. Kenobi gets a distress beacon from Bail Organa and answers it. He wants Kenobi to save her, where he declines and says that he has to watch the boy, and he's just not the man that he used to be. So of course this is very unlike Obi-Wan, the old original Obi-Wan, well the young original Obi-Wan, 
Kenobi would never turn something like this down. Even if he had to watch Luke, he would do what he had to do in order to save Leia, which eventually, of course, he comes to his senses. But I have something to say about that too, and we'll get to that in a sec. So, Obi-Wan goes out into the desert, digs up his and Anakin's lightsaber, which we can now see has been modified. Now, I wish it wasn't. I would have liked to have seen Obi-Wan tinker with it in this show, and to see why he did this, as we don't really know the real reason. He leaves Tatooine, and as he boards the ship, his beautiful Jedi lightsaber is seen hanging from his belt. Okay, so this I have mixed feelings about. He can't leave Tatooine. He is ordered to watch Luke by Master Yoda. This breaks canon. Then again, of course, a show about Obi-Wan cutting sashimi the whole time would be really lame. Reva threatened Owen, Beru, and Luke. It seemed like Obi-Wan would be even more inclined to stay and protect Luke, but also Leia needs him, and she's also Anakin's child. Luke will probably be okay, but Leia for sure won't be okay, as she's already captured. So obviously he makes the decision and leaves. The first episode did a great job in portraying how broken and depressed Obi-Wan is. I enjoyed how he was portrayed and feel like it's very in sync with canon and previous canon which is now Legends. Obi-Wan is a very broken man. He blames himself for the state of the galaxy, for Anakin's turn to the dark side, and his death. Or so he thinks. I would have liked to have seen a little more into Obi-Wan's life like in the comics where he kept in shape by fist fighting Tusken Raiders and things like that. I thought that was pretty cool. But anyways, the Jawa part was accurate as he does befriend them in a way. I find Reva to be utterly annoying and I believe she's written in such a way. The Inquisitors are annoyed with her and so should the audience. Obviously something will come of this. The writing is plain and simple that she's supposed to be very hasty and I guess we're going to find out why soon enough. I find the plot holes of her lack of mind probing to be odd. She kind of just chooses when she's going to do it and conveniently doesn't do it when it's a very important character that'll give her a lot of information on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Just like with Owen. I also wonder how they're going to deal with Leia in episode 4 as Leia sent that distress signal in the hologram form to Obi-Wan Kenobi in R2-D2 saying that years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. I just feel like now she would be telling Obi-Wan, hey, you helped me 10 years ago from those nappers and from the Inquisitors, so I need your help again. But perhaps she got her mind wiped, who knows, it's only episode 2 that we've seen, and this of course is just the breakdown for the first episode. So we haven't even seen that yet, technically. Overall, it was a nice start to Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I think it has a lot of ground. However, some of the writing was confusing, some things were a little bit too convenient with uh, Reva's powers. But I guess we're going to find out more later on, and of course, the story has to go somewhere. It can't just be all that simple. So on to episode two's breakdown in the next video. I hope you enjoyed this one. Let me know your thoughts, your concerns, what you like about the episode, what you don't, what you want changed, what you're hoping to see. Thanks for your time and watching today's breakdown on episode one. I'll catch you on the next episode on Star Wars Theory. Until then, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, remember, the Force will be with you. Always.